Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. My family was out of town this past week. We were traveling across Utah enjoying creation. It was gorgeous uh, when it wasn't snowing. It was gorgeous in the snow, too, just so you know. Um, it's one of our, become one of our favorite places. Um, but when, we, when I knew we were going to be out of town, I asked Monica if she would be willing to preach this Sunday to follow up from last week's uh, exploration of the gospel and to take us into some really weird scripture this morning. So just be prepared. Like the, the, she, she was more than willing to do it um, and take it on, and she's probably more qualified to teach on this than I am. So it's great. Um, if you haven't gotten to know Monica and Jonathan and their little kids, Elijah and Evangeline, um, do so. They've been with us now for months, uh, and we are so glad that God brought them here uh, to Christ Community Church. Hey, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Um, Monica is a fellow graduate of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, like myself and her husband, Jonathan, and our friend, Reed. Um, and so we've kind of gotten this little pocket here. Uh, she's a Bible, a high school Bible teacher and has been for years as well. So she's heard every question there is about the Bible um, because a teenager will ask any question that comes to their mind. Um, and so we are incredibly grateful and incredibly blessed to have my friend and our sister, uh, Monica Romig, here. So. Oh, you know what? That's right. We're going to read the scripture first, like normal. Uh, we're going to invite Brother Nathan to come and to read the scripture today. Amen. Good morning, church. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. And the word of the Lord says, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. We thank God for the reading and hearing of his word. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, so there's a historic day coming up on May 6th. Does anybody know why Saturday, May 6th, 2023, is going to be a historic day? No. no nobody following the royal family over in England. It is King Charles's coronation day. Ah, now you know it's going to be on your minds on the calendar coming up Saturday, May 6th. So um, Charles has been king since his mother passed in the fall. 
but he is going to officially, in a very public and important historic ceremony, be crowned king on May 6th, 2023. Okay, if you didn't know the date, then you're probably not going to know this next one. But there's actually been a committee meeting for years, because they knew this was you know, going to come, meeting for years to plan this event. Does anybody know the code name that they were using to plan Charles's coronation? It sounds like a James Bond movie. It's Operation Golden Orb. And so for years, these people would get together a couple times a year to plan Operation Golden Orb because it's this huge, huge event, right? Uh, he's going to wear different robes. Uh, sources say, actually, that Charles, apparently, was totally cool with the idea in getting in, like, the britches with the stockings, like, like, imagine, like, a painting of a king. He was ready to wear that, but his advisors, as part of Operation Golden Orb, said, let's just do a military uniform instead. Let's not put you in tights. And he was like, okay. Um, so it's going to be actually apparently a bit of a toned down affair. Only 2,000 guests. So, you know, just a small little thing. But it's, um, it's this huge event. And we're in this really interesting season right now in the monarchy in England because he's king. He's king, and yet... Until May 6th, we're waiting for something. And on May 6th, something special is going to happen. He's going to get a crown to wear that's more than four pounds, signifying his public display of his rule and reign. And uh, I, as Brandon mentioned, I teach high schoolers. And sometimes when we talk about king imagery in the Bible, I have to remind my students that there are still countries that have kings. Because for them, like kings, that's like a fairy tale thing, right? Once upon a time, there was a king and a queen, and they lived in a castle far away. And I have to be like, no, you guys, there are still countries that have kings. You're like, what? Um, but I think that's like a fair connection because there is so much of this language that feels very foreign to us as modern Western American democracy-loving citizens, right? And yet the Bible uses this king language all the time. That's like the big theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that God is the king and Jesus is the king, the Messiah who has come. And so what I hope we see this morning is that the Bible is, is not a fairy tale because this story is true, but it is a story. And we're living kind of in the middle of it. And there is some gospel, there is some good news that we're still waiting for. And it's really exciting that we're going to get to um, talk about it a little bit this morning. So as Brandon mentioned last week, we started this chapter in 1 Corinthians with a, yes, much clearer text of what the gospel is. Uh, <laughs> the gospel is the story. It is the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And this is all part of this letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to the people in Corinth. And after he gives that clear explanation of the gospel, he goes, and the part that we're kind of skipping over, is he makes this case. He says, listen, Jesus has to be alive. Because if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then there's no point in following him. We can only follow Christ if Christ is alive. 
And he really hangs his hat on the fact that like Jesus is not just some mythical moral teacher with a lot of good advice. Like Jesus lived and died and rose again and he is alive and that's why we follow him. And then that's what brings us to our text here where it talks about how uh, Jesus has risen again and in that rising again, he is the first fruit. Okay, now that's a word we don't use all the time, but it's actually a really easy word to break down. First, fruit. I love gardening. I love plants. This time of year is always really hard because it's like you'll get one nice day and you're like, yes, it's time. And then it snows over the weekend and you're like, not yet. Um, but like it, gardening time is coming, right? I love to garden. Something I love maybe even more than gardening is when you're walking along and you see a plant that has like something edible, like you find wild blueberries or wild blackberries and you're like, wow, I didn't even plant that, but it's here and I can eat some. Uh, and lest any of you are worried, like Monica's going around eating poison berries, I have an app, okay, and you can take a picture and it tells you if the thing is poisonous or not, um, which is very helpful. There was a time before apps, right? So there was a time when you wouldn't necessarily know what a plant was. And there are some plants before they have fruit that look really, really similar. So like blackberries and raspberries, they're part of kind of the same plant family. And before they actually show up, it's kind of hard to tell what that plant is gonna be. So if you don't have the app, what do you have to do? Well, you wait until the first fruit. Right? Because if the first fruit is a blackberry, then you know the rest of the fruit on the bush is going to be blackberries too. You're not going to get one blackberry and then all of a sudden a banana is going to come out. Like this is going to be a blackberry bush. The first fruit tells you what everything else is going to be like. And Jesus is the first fruit. And we are part of his vine, right? He says that himself. We are branches on his vine. So if he is a blackberry, guess what? We're all blackberries. We are going to be just like him in his resurrected state. He had a physical body that was a spiritual body, but it was real. It was a real resurrection from the dead. That's what's awaiting us because he was the first fruit. And we are going to be like him. So Paul tells us that Jesus is the first fruit. And then he says in verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Last week, um, it was a good point to be made that this story goes beyond us. The story of the gospel is so much bigger than us. And I want, I want to be very, very clear on this, and I think Brandon was very clear on this last week too. The gospel is absolutely about you and your sin and Jesus dying for you so that your sin has been taken away, just like we proclaimed through the bread and the cup. It is no less than that, but it's so much more than that. And what Paul is saying is here is he's just widening that lens. And he's like, listen, you think the gospel's just right here all about you? No way. It goes all the way back to the beginning of creation is where the story started. Because in the beginning, God created man and woman in his image. And then 
they disobeyed, right? We all know the story. Adam and Eve, they listened to the serpent, and they brought death into the world. And they experienced that death, and their kids experienced that death. And as a result, all of humanity, now we're all facing the consequence of that death. And Paul actually says in another one of his letters, in Romans chapter 5, he says that after Adam, death reigned. There's that king language again, right? Death reigned after what happened with Adam and Eve. Um, King Charles, in a 2018 documentary, kind of surrounding his 70th birthday, they're trying to kind of catch him, right? And so they're like, oh, when you become king, are you going to do this or that or this or that? Because at the time, he was still Prince Charles. And he just kind of sidestepped the whole thing. He said, there's only room for one sovereign at a time, not two. Right? Now, that was his way of kind of being political and being like, I'm not going to discuss those things that could get me in trouble. But he's right, right? There's only room for one sovereign at a time. And after Adam, death reigned. But then came Christ. And Jesus, in his life in ministry, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he brought Lazarus back to life and others back to life. And then he faced death himself and he came back to life. Death reigned in Adam, but we have life through the reign of Christ because he is the king. Just like King Charles is already the king and we're still waiting for this event, Jesus is already the king. Right? He is already the king, but we're waiting for this last piece of the story. And so Paul does a little bit of biblical hopscotch, and in our next verse, he goes back from uh, Adam at the beginning of the story, and then he jumps to the resurrection of Christ, and then he jumps to the very end of time. Just boop, boop, boop. Uh, he says, uh, 23, but in each his own order. Christ, the first fruits, there's that word again, Afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. That's, well, there it is. There's the whole story of everything in life, right? But he's pointing out to something so important and part of this good news, part of this gospel story that we're still waiting to see, and it's when Jesus comes back. There are some questions in this text we're not going to answer, but I can say definitively, Jesus is coming back right? He is coming back. And when he comes back, that's when all the other blackberries are going to bloom. That's when we all get to come back to life and have this new life like him. Those who have died will come back. Those who are still alive will be transfigured and transformed and translated into these new things. And that is part of this beautiful end of the story. I know Brandon has said it before, but like the story doesn't end with us playing harps flying around in the clouds. Right? We get new life in Christ. Real life, physical life. And then, the end. And then the end, verse 24. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom, of, the kingdom to God the Father. When he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Okay, this language of uh, rule and authority and power, 
or in other translations, sometimes you have dominion, authority, and power. That might ring a bell because Paul uses these words actually quite a bit in his letters. But there's one parallel passage that I think really sheds light on what we're talking about here. So this is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Paul says that God has power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. Okay, Christ is above all of this rule and power and authority. What is that referring to? Well, I think when we think about power, we can think about people in power, and sometimes they're good leaders and they use the power well. But so often they're not, right? In the course of human history, so often that power is wielded in an unjust way, or there are systems and structures of oppression and persecution. And that's real power. Like, that's something beyond what you and I can go and fix. And maybe you've had that experience where you're watching the news, you're listening to the news, you're reading the headlines, and it's like, man, the Uyghurs in China, or the people in North Korea, or the reinstallation of the Taliban. And it's like, these are people who have taken this level of power and they are committing injustice. And like, what hope is there for those victims who are being oppressed? They can't take over the system. They can't change the way things are. That power seems too powerful. And for, for you and me, it is, but not for God, right? Already, he is seated above those things, and one day he promises to abolish them. But it's more than just the physical people power structures that exist. Uh, elsewhere in Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like, yes, Jesus is above any human power and authority, but he is above the invisible powers behind that as well. So this past week, my school did something called Go Week, where we had a, a group of teenagers that went to go serve in Uganda, we had a group of teenagers that went to go serve in Honduras, and then we had about 35 of us that served in and around Denver here for the week. And it was great, it was hard, it was long, but it was really good. For two, two of those days, we went into downtown Denver, and we served with a ministry called the Denver Dream Center. Has anybody heard of the Denver Dream Center? So they're kind of like um, the Denver Rescue Mission. They're not a shelter, though, so they don't provide any sort of housing. But they just go out and minister to the people who are on the streets. And they just give them kind of whatever they can. They give them clothes. They give them food. They pray for them. Uh, they offer services in their building. And on one of those days, we took this group of 35 teenagers and we brought some like donated clothes that people had given and we made these like snack bags and we went and we set up this pop-up shop in this parking lot on this corner where, you know, right there are the tents of the people who are living on the street. And for, it was less than an hour, maybe 45 minutes, we just gave out clothes and we just gave out bags and we just talked to people and heard their stories and, um, we served for, like I said, maybe about 45 minutes that day, and we came back and we debriefed for probably three hours because it was such an intense experience 
for these students who had never been that close to that kind of brokenness, um, for leaders who had never been that close to that kind of brokenness. And there was this sense of just like, wow, that's big. Like the level of addiction and the level of mental illness and the level of brokenness that these people are struggling with is really big and it's too big for us. Later in the week, we went back down to downtown Denver to serve with Providence Network, which is where Jonathan, my husband, works. And they're kind of in the same region. And so actually, as we were getting back on the highway, we passed that corner where we had done the pop-up shop and given out the clothes and given out the food. And the tents were still there, right? Like, that was a good thing that we went and did, but it didn't solve the problem. We're not going to take 35 teenagers into Denver and fix those big things. But Jesus will. <laughs> right? Like, we are not, we can't do it, but he can, and he is, and he does. Because Jesus is the king, and in some way, he is already accomplishing that. He is already fighting these powers and dominions and authorities. Even now, he is seated on the throne. And there's this, I don't know if you caught it, but there's this other reference back to Genesis in our text this morning. It says he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. So this is most likely Paul quoting Psalm 110, which Jesus quotes himself. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that psalm is actually one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. But I think there's a reference there, right? to that story in Genesis back with Adam and Eve where they disobeyed and death began to reign, but just about immediately God gave a promise. And he said, listen, this is not the way it's going to be forever because there is going to be a time when someone who is a descendant of Eve, he is going to get, his heel will be struck, but he is going to crush the serpent's head. That's the proto-euangelion, the first gospel, okay? And that we know, when, they were, when God gave that promise to Adam and Eve, he was pointing ahead to Jesus on the cross. Jesus has already done that. He was struck, but in his death, he came back to life and defeated Satan under his feet, Right? Jesus is already doing that. He is already king, and he is a warrior king. He is fighting these battles against these powers that be. But he's not the kind of warrior king that we often think about. He's not a crusading knight going out there with weapons. Right? He's not out there with a sword fighting these battles. He is the servant king whose greatest moment of victory was his own death. And he is a warrior king against these things in an upside-down way for us, in almost a counterintuitive way, because the way he fights these things is through acts of service and acts of generosity and acts of prayer, right? When we pray, like we just did a whole sermon series on prayer, when we pray, we are advancing that warrior kingdom of Christ, and when I brought those 35 teenagers and the five other adults in me and we went down and handed out those clothes and felt like, what are we even doing? That act was actually advancing the warrior kingdom of Christ. 
And when we train to run a half marathon or a full marathon, God bless you guys, that is actually providing water for people. That is advancing the warrior kingdom of Christ. And when we raise money for programs like WizKids and other organizations, we are advancing that kingdom of Christ because that's how our king has chosen to fight these battles. In this time, he is advancing his kingdom and he's choosing to use us, which is crazy and sometimes very frustrating, right? Have you ever seen that hurt and that brokenness and thought, come on, Jesus, where's a flaming sword? You know, like just rain down sulfur, just end this, this oppression and this bad stuff that exists, just finish it, right? But man, hallelujah that he doesn't do that, okay? Because he is not a warrior king who is just fighting the enemy outside the city walls. He is a king whose subjects have that enemy rooted in their own hearts, right? Like we, we know and we pray and we are so thankful to God that he has defeated sin and death. He has atoned for our sin and we can stand justified in his presence, and we know that day by day, his Holy Spirit is making us more like him. But we also know the reality of the situation, which is that every day, the desires war within us against what we know our king wants us to do. Right? All the time. <laughs> we know that our king has said, do not be angry and aggressive and impatient. And yet, we're frustrated with our spouse and we're impatient with our kids all the time. We know that our king has told us to look at someone with lust is to commit adultery in your heart, and yet we let our eyes and our thoughts wander all the time. And we know that lies come from the devil, and he is the father of lies, and yet we bend the truth and omit those parts of the story that make us look bad all the time. And yet Jesus is that warrior king who is fighting that even within our own hearts. He has already secured victory for that on the cross. And he is not only a warrior king, he is a mediator king sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us all the time. Hebrews tells us this. He says, uh, Hebrews in chapter 7, 24 and 25 says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. We fail all the time. As subjects to our king, we show our allegiance to the enemy, and yet he intercedes for us all the time. But here's the crazy thing about our verse this morning. There's going to be a time where that's somehow going to change because Jesus is interceding for us all the time, but not in the same way for all time. Because there is gonna be a day where he doesn't need to be that warrior king fighting the authorities and the powers and the dominions because they will be totally done. And he won't need to be interceding for us and mediating for us in the exact same way he is now because we won't have any more sin and we won't have any more need. And we are looking forward to that day. He is king now, and yet the gospel story isn't over. And there is good news that we are still waiting for. 
One more way that I think this text is going to blow our mind, and then I'll let us go this morning to ask all of our questions to Pastor Brandon right back there. <laughs> uh, somehow, at this end, when Jesus has this final victory, uh, our relationship with God is going to change because we will be perfect and glorified in the way we were always meant to be. And something even more crazy and cosmic is going to happen because somehow the eternal God of the universe is going to enter into time. And he has done that before for us, right? If we think of the story of Christmas, it's the eternal God outside of time, the second person of the Trinity, who was the word at the beginning and created all things through him, became a human baby, right? And took on a human nature. He entered into time for us. And on the cross, there's that moment where we know that God poured out all the punishment we deserve on his own son. And in that moment, he entered into time for us. And he rose again and he ascended to heaven, entering into time for us. And at the end of time, somehow, someway, he's going to do it again. Somehow, someway, he is going to hand the kingdom over to God the Father, and he himself will be subjected so that God may be all in all. He's going to enter into time for us. And I have no idea how that's going to work. <laughs> I don't. And, and, and nobody does. Like, theologians spend way too much ink trying to figure out all the details, but it's a mystery because God is beyond us. Uh, in the United Kingdom, they haven't had a coronation ceremony like this since the Queen Elizabeth, 1953. So they've been planning it, they've been thinking about it, and there's all sorts of speculation in the British press, even in our press, about you know, all the details and all of that. And part of it's just going to be a mystery until the day of. They can speculate and gossip all they want. They're not going to know exactly how it's going to play out until May 6th comes and they have the ceremony and the crown is put on his head. And our King Jesus is like way bigger and more important than King Charles. <laughs> and the story that we're looking forward to is way more exciting than May 6th. Um, and it, a lot more planning has gone into it uh, since the beginning of eternity. We don't know all the details. We're not gonna know all the details. We're, we're meant to just savor the mystery of our God. But we know that we can trust his promises. And we can trust that he's gonna come back and we can trust that we are going to be like him. And we can trust that he is going to completely abolish all of those things that are bad that we know. And he's going to reign victorious. And somehow, even his greatest moment of glory is going to be tied to an act of humility. Because that's the kind of king we have. And he's working through each and every one of us every day. Advancing that kingdom until that day comes. Do you guys pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for this story, this good news that you are still writing, that we get to live out, that we get to be a part of as you write the story in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, would we never think that the gospel is less than our own sin being taken care of by you on the cross but would you help us to remember it is so much more. You are a good God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.